WVEW LP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. We're also streaming online at WVEW.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding and making connections. Streaming at noon on Sundays. We're a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. I'm Lauren Pearlstein, a school librarian at Putney Central School in Putney, Vermont, and I'm here with Chris. Hi, Lauren. I'm Chris Levensey. I'm a teacher of history and humanities in Holyoke, Massachusetts. And uh, like we said, we're here every Sunday from 12 to 1. It's nice to be here today. This is our sixth show. Um, and we're trying to make connections, deepen understanding of different topics. Um, we've had a few, uh, some of our shows from the past week, or past weeks include looking at the teacher struggles in Oaxaca, Mexico, um, Columbus Day, Indigenous Peoples Day. We've talked a little bit about Black Lives Matter last week, and we're going to continue that discussion. And next week, they're going to have a discussion about Haiti and disaster capitalism. And today, we will be talking about resistance. Uh, this notion of solidarity that injustice for one is injustice for all, the civil rights protest movement is tirelessly continuing to spark important cultural conversations that have become prominent in political campaign circles and on college campuses, as well as on the streets of Brattleboro. So today we'll talk about Palestine, Black Lives Matter, and Standing Rock. We will discuss the interconnectedness of these struggles, their statements of solidarity for each other, and the forms and essence of their resistance. Nice. Um, yeah. What we also uh, will be talking with Professor Yaakov Rabi uh, Robkin of the University of Montreal. He's a history professor there, um, and which was a pre-recorded uh, interview that we had just done this morning. So. Yeah, Professor Robkin, um, we got a chance to meet him. He was speaking at the um, World Social Forum this summer in Montreal, and uh, he's a longtime history professor at the University of Montreal. So um, we're also going to be sharing some statements from uh, that solidarity statements from Black Lives Matter, uh, Standing Rock, and the International Solidarity Movement. So uh, we thought it was an appropriate topic. Um, we're finding this being discuss discussed in our schools, um, in the political campaign, and the town of Brattleboro, there's been activism, discussion, movies, and marches about police brutality um, in support of the Black Lives Matter movement against, uh, there's a regular um, longstanding protest in front of T TD Bank about the Dakota Access Pipeline, and also standing in solidarity uh, with the people of Standing Rock as well, as uh, for many years, um, different events in support of the Palestinian people and against occupation. So um, I thought maybe it'd be a good time we can start with a song called Somosur by Anna Tiju. It's a collaboration with uh, Shadia Masur. She's a British-born Palestinian rapper, and they're performing the song both in Spanish and Arabic, and it's called We Are the South. Um, Hip-hop, uh, and this is a quote from them, hip-hop is a land of the people that don't have a land. Chilean hip-hop artist and musician, Anna Tiju, that's her comment. And Tiju was born in France, and she was raised in Chile. Um, and Chile hosts one of the largest Palestinian communities in the world. And so Somosur um, draws parallels between acts of resistance in Chile and Palestine, and this song is about the importance of resistance around the world. Um, Anna Tiju, Somosur. Well, uh, they had their own rules, uh, but what is important is the Jews... Oh, we're going to take a minute to try to figure that song out just a second. Um, after the break, um, we're going to come back and talk a little bit about our experiences as teachers. 
um, and we will, both Lauren and I, um, and a little bit about our backgrounds um, growing up as well. So um, give us just a moment while we get the technical difficulties worked out. Um, and maybe we can start with that, Lauren, if you want to, we'll go right to that, Lauren, if you can tell us a little bit. You grew up um, as a Jewish person, and now you're doing work um, that's uh, in, in many areas, and one of those areas is in support of Palestine. Can you tell us a bit about your experience growing up and how your thinking has changed over the years? Yeah, sure. Um, so I grew up Jewish, uh, attended Sunday school and Wednesday school even um, to learn Hebrew. And so what I can tell you about this is that growing up, I had no clue that Palestinians existed. There was a total and complete absence of a history of people from the education I received through my synagogue and also in public school. Um, on the last show, we talked about Columbus and Indigenous Peoples Day, and similarly to the way the Tainos are absent from many books about Columbus, the Palestinians were absent from uh, my education as well. And this is very scary and very po problematic when we look at the history of Indigenous people and look at what's happening on the ground today. Mm. Um, so there was a point when my confusion around Palestine and Palestinians grew into more of curiosity and anger, really, to figure out the history that had been left out. Um, and also, I remember uh, my senior year in high school when I learned about the Japanese internment. I had no idea that that had even happened. And so I felt the same anger around, how did I not know about this? And so I make a point in my teaching now as a librarian to share with students these untold stories and the stories that do, don't make the mass media headlines and in order to kind of disrupt the, the education we receive without even really knowing we're receiving it. So, and one example, I remember giving Sadaka money, so that's like charity money in my synagogue, um, while having no idea that it was being used to rip up olive trees in Palestine. Mm. Yeah, I remember a similar or similar experiences, um, both uh, growing up um, and the anger I felt afterwards about uh, n intentionally and not hearing about the stories. I, I didn't hear about the Japanese internment till well in college. Um, most of the narratives I heard around Native peoples were that they were either exotic or gone. Um, and I didn't learn about the resistance movements um, in terms of uh, Africans that were the attempts to enslave them and all of the resistance movements from day one um, to today about how they, their resistance helped save millions of other people's lives. I didn't hear about the mar uh, maroon communities, um, both in Central America and all along our coasts, uh, resistance and people fighting back and um, creating new ways of living in, in this age of occupation. And so when starting to hear those stories, um, being really upset and angry and feeling betrayed that um, I wasn't told about it, but also that I have and can, uh, was complicit in this narrative of this erasure of people's history, this narrative of white supremacy. Um, so, yeah, I have a similar experience to that. So I think we have some of our technical difficulties worked out. We're going to go back to that song, Sonosur, We Are the South by Anatiju. Nos dices que debemos sentarnos Pero las ideas solo pueden levantarnos Caminar, recorrer, no rendirse ni retroceder Ver, aprender como esponja absorbe Nadie sobre todos, faltan todos, suman todos Para todos, todo para nosotros Soñamos en grande que se caiga el imperio Lo gritamos algo, no queda más remedio Esto no es utopía, es alegre rebeldía Del baile de los que sobran de la danza tuya mía Levantarnos para decir ya basta Ni América Latina se suba Un barro con casco con lápiz a patear el fiasco Provocar un social terremoto en este charco
Great, that was Somos Sur by Anatiju, a song about the importance of resistance around the world, and I think um, that's a great segue. So we are WVEWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. We're also streaming online at WVEW.org. Currently, you're listening to Indigo Radio. We're on every Sunday from 12 to 1, deepening understanding, making connections. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guest, not the radio station. So today, the show is about resistance. Um, we'll talk a little bit about Palestine, Black Lives Matter, as well as Standing Rock, and that song was a great segue to that. Um, I thought, Lauren, maybe another kind of great segue into our interview would be to read a little bit of an act of solidarity in this resistance. So, Yeah, I was in... Um in Palestine this last summer, and I, uh, I met someone who's who's involved with the Hebron Defense Committee. And um, while I was there, he w- they were in the middle of writing, um, in um, with other groups as well, this uh, letter of support in su- uh, of Black Lives Matter. So, it's from the International Solid- Solidarity Movement. The world watches as black and brown bodies continue to be gunned down by racialized, hyper-militarized U.S. police force, and we are indignant. We affirm Palestinian solidarity with black liberation and support their struggle for the swift and long-absent application of justice against police officers who commit heinous extrajudicial murders of black people and the systems that create and overpower policing systems. We affirm Palestinian solidarity with the movement for black lives as they protest in the streets against the rising count of marginalized bodies at the hands of police who kill with impunity. We further call for a complete disinvestment in weapons and the business of war and an investment in human rights of black, brown, indigenous, and Palestinian people anywhere on this planet. We affirm Palestinian solidarity with the families of the victims of racist police violence and with the communities that struggle to rebuild after these murders. 
As Palestinians continue to live under and resist the Israeli occupation, siege, and racial violence by an army that trains the U.S. police force, border control, and homeland security agencies, we affirm our intersectionality and our common struggle with the, with the movement for black lives. We who believe in freedom will not rest. Palestinian solidarity with black liberation. Wow, that's a really powerful statement of solidarity and a really powerful statement of the um, commonalities of oppression and um, in this. So, sure. Yeah. Um, so, I, what, yeah, yeah, I think we'll return, we'll, we'll connect this, I think we'd like to talk a little bit, um, we're going to play an interview that we recorded this morning with Professor Yaakov um, Rabkin, he, as we said, he's a professor of history at the University of Montreal, and a few of his books include A Threat from Within, A Century of Jewish Occupation to Zionism, um, so let's go to that now, it's in two parts, we had a little technical difficulty in the middle, so bear with us, but we got both parts. So let's start with that, Professor Rabkin. Welcome to Indigo Radio. Um, professor Yaakov Rabkin, who is a professor of history at the University of Montreal. Um, he's written and published over five books and over 300 articles. Um, we're going to talk a little bit today about one of his books, A Threat from Within, A Century of Jewish Opposition to Zionism. Um, Lauren and I will I'll uh, be talking with Pro Professor Rabkin. Uh, welcome to the show, and we're very excited to have you, and we appreciate you uh, talking with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Great. And I'd just like to say that I, I've met uh, Professor Rabkin at um, the World Social Forum this last summer in Montreal, uh, several of his uh, workshops, and um, he was kind enough to join us on this conversation. Um, and I wondered if you could just explain a little bit about um, the history of Zionism. What is it and uh, some of the milestones in that? Well, Zionism is a political movement that emerged in the uh, late 19th century among a largely uh, assimilated Jews who were quite immune from the Jewish tradition and who were uh, concerned that they were not entirely accepted in the society in which they lived. As you know, Jews received equal rights uh, in Europe only in the course of the 19th century, mm -hmm. depending on the country. Mm -hmm. France earlier, and Germany a bit later. Uh, and therefore, the entry of Jews into general society provoked a counter-movement, which today is known and then was called anti-Semitism. So, as a reaction against anti-Semitism, as a reaction against uh, uh, exclusion and discrimination against Jews in Central and Western European societies, uh, some Jews, uh, namely Theodor Herzl in Vienna, a very prominent journalist, successful playwright, uh, organized a political movement. That movement was inspired as I said, not so much by Jewish tradition, of which uh, Herzl and his friends knew very little, but it was largely inspired by the Protestant uh, belief that gathering Jews in uh, the Holy Land is going to speed uh, the second coming of Christ. And in fact, there is a whole book uh, written about the relationship between Theodor Herzl and the Protestant chaplain of the British Embassy in Vienna at the time. Uh, so I, uh, I develop it a bit more in detail in my recent book, What is Modern Israel? But I also mention it in the book uh, that you wanted to talk about, namely about Jewish opposition to Zionism. Okay. I'm also here with Lauren Perlstein. Um, she's going to ask a couple questions as well. Hi, nice to have you here. Um, I was wondering if you could explain a little bit about the history of anti-Semitism. Well, anti-Semitism is a word that was coined in the second half of the 19th century. And when in early 1880s, uh, a group of German intellectuals organized a movement against 
what we consider Jewish pollution of German society, they called themselves anti-Semites. So anti-Semites were proud at that time to be anti-Semites. Hmm. Just, just like the word totalitarian originally was not a pejorative word, but a word that some Italian socialists close to Mussolini called their new state, the totalitarian state. So there are many words that have acquired negative connotation while they were originally not negative. So that group uh, that was proudly calling itself anti-Semitic introduced something new. Namely, they considered Jews to be a race or a nation, if you like, uh, that independently of their beliefs, of their origin, have a certain imminent essence that is indestructible. It's a little bit of a mysticism there, uh, but it's a very uh, sinister kind of sinister kind of mysticism, because while old anti-Jewish beliefs uh, could be counted, if someone wanted, by converting to Christianity and therefore stopping being a Jew, a racial definition of a Jew makes it a real dead end. And as we know, during the Second World War. <coughs> Sorry, Nazi leaders destroyed millions of Jews, many of whom were not particularly observant or interested in Judaism. <coughs> the so-called one drop then. Sorry, I couldn't the, hear you. The, the so-called one drop that we've heard about here in the States. One drop of blood rule. Well, uh, they had their own rules, uh, but what is important is the Jews were conceptualized not as a confessional group, but as a racial group, mm -hmm. which, was perfect, which was perfectly in line with physical anthropology of the late 19th century, because that was the time of colonial expansion uh, in, into Africa normally, and uh, you needed scientific justification for that. And when you see that some races are superior and others are inferior, and that was perfectly normal discourse at the end of the 19th century. So Jews also happened to be classified as a race, even though even cursory look at Jews, say, from Yemen, Germany, and Russia will tell you that they hardly belong to the same ethnic group. So, Professor, um, just to take that a little bit further, then maybe you can expand on, um, and I think one of the things that we d discuss or we find here a lot, um, if we criticize the state of Israel, um, we're often accused of being anti-Semitic. Um, can you talk a little bit about, a little bit more about that state versus people or race? Uh, well, uh, you have to understand that Israeli leaders and those who sympathize with Israel, uh, so-called those who are active in Israel advocacy, or Asbara, have to justify something which is really difficult to justify. And therefore, they have to resort to all kinds of means in order to discredit those who criticize Israel. One way to discredit those who criticize Israel is to call them anti-Semites. This is based on uh, conflation between the state of Israel and Jews. And the book, the title of which you mentioned, Jewish Opposition to Zionism, spells out that most Jews rejected Zionism when it emerged at the end of the 19th century. And in fact, Zionists themselves wanted to break away from the Jewish tradition, to break away from Jewish continuity. They hated the classical image of a Jew. In fact, they very often in their writing presented diaspora Jew very much like the anti-Semites did. Hmm. So to, to conflate the state of Israel, which is a modern state in Western Asia, with uh, Jews uh, is really incorrect historically, but it is very useful politically because that's the way to silence criticism of Israel. They say, why do you single out Israel? There are so many other countries that are so bad, and why Israel? Because you're anti-Semite, meaning you, you hate us because we exist. And this is, of course, uh, uh, as I said, a very useful tool 
to counter criticism. That's why people who want to make their criticism legitimate have to really know the history of anti-Semitism and the history of Zionism in particular. Zionism was a break from Jewish continuity. So under no circumstances can we say that uh, the state of Israel represents the culmination of Jewish history, etc. They were really building a new society, a new Hebrew, and they succeeded to a large extent. Either one. Um, can you uh, talk a bit, little bit about um, in the in your book a threat from within? What what does that mean? A threat from within. The fact that Zionism was rejected by the majority of Jews and continues to be a very difficult issue for many Jews is largely unknown and especially it is uh, hidden in the political rhetoric saying that the state of Israel is a Jewish state, a Hebrew state. Uh, very commonly uh, Israeli leaders speak on behalf of the Jewish people. Moreover, the state of Israel presents itself as the state of entire Jewish people of all the Jews living wherever they may be, be they in Vermont, in China, or anywhere else. Mm. So in that sense, it's a, highly, it's a state without borders, uh, that uh, rather than being a state of its citizens, it is a state of uh, all the Jews in the world, who, of course, never gave Israeli leaders any agreement to that. Mm. It's, it's one thing when you say, uh, say Italians, uh, there are many Italians immigrated to North America and other parts of the world, and they are originally from Italy, or their immediate ancestors were from Italy. So they participate in elections in Italy and so on. Uh, and I understand there are Israeli citizens, of which there are about one million outside of Israel, that Israel has some kind of a relationship with them, because these people carry Israeli passports. However, to postulate that the state of Israel represent Jews of the world is uh, makes very little sense and certainly is not supported by facts. However, it's a very effective way of saying, again, if you criticize Israel, you're therefore uh, uh, therefore anti-Semitic. So what the threat from within is, is the knowledge that most virulent critics of Israel and of Zionism come from within the Jewish community and particularly among the most religious, most observant groups uh, who are very easily identifiable visually. They mm -hmm. usually wear black coats and you know, white shirts and all that. Uh, so these so-called ultra-Orthodox Jews are either non-Zionist or some of them are anti-Zionist. And my book spells out the reasons why Zionism was rejected by those who appreciate and continue the Jewish tradition. Hmm. Um, you know, in in lots of conversations I've had, um, there are many people who assume that religion is the main irresolvable piece of this. Um, of, of what of this? Of Israel-Palestine conflict. Uh -huh. um, and I was wondering what you would say to that. Well, I think that religion can be used for political mobilization, but it certainly is not at the root of the conflict. The root of the conflict, which I remind you, was between uh, socialist Zionists, uh, people who came from the Russian Empire beginning of the 20th century to Palestine to build a new socialist society. That was their plan. Their they wanted to occupy as much land as possible with as few Arabs as possible on it. They built a separate society, a separate economy, in order to eventually build up a separate state. That is the project that uh, was described by the Zionists themselves as Afrada. Afrada means separate development. And as we all know, separate development is used in different languages differently. In Afrikaans, it's called apartheid. Yes. So uh, the idea of separate development is what antagonized local population. And certainly it was not a religious issue because, as I said, 
those Zionist settlers uh, were largely anti-religious, at best agnostics. So we're talking about a very different group of people from those who you see today on your television screens, who constitute settlers, say, on the West Bank. Uh, they are largely belonging to uh, a movement which I also refer to in my book as National Judaism. This is a relatively new movement uh, which really reinterpreted uh, Judaism in its own political way and they produced a very devoted and active cadre of settlers who in fact created this fact of occupation. All right, that uh, was Professor Yaakov Rabkin. He's a history professor at the University of Montreal. Um, we're going to take a break from the interview for a few minutes to play a song for you, and we'll get back to his interview. Uh, a lot of stuff there to talk about, and we'll talk about in other shows as well. This is Indigo Radio, making connections, deepening understanding. Um, we'll come back to Professor Rabkin's interview in just a minute. We'd like to break with a song by Shadia Mansour, El Kofia Arabia. Uh, the kafia is Arab. It refers to the traditional Palati Palestinian checkered scarf, the kafia. She sings about protecting the kafia as a symbol of Palestinian struggle and Arab identity. And there's also a bit of a guest um, appearance on this from one half of the dead prez. And they speak of the kafia. It's not a scarf. It's part of a movement. The symbolism is resistance. So Indigo Radio, here we go. Uh, El Kofia Arabia. WVEW LP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Also streaming online at WVEW.org. You can, uh, this is Indigo Radio. You can check out our Facebook page. And um, I wanted to make a shout out to Corey Sorensen, who is running the board today. Yes, we, very well indeed. Yes. 
Um, so we, we just took a break um, from an interview with Professor Yaakov Rogkin. And we wanted to return to that interview, um, part two. Well, that's technology. We have to live with it. Yes. <laughs> um, thanks for sticking with us. Um, wanted to, a couple last quick questions, um, two or three. D can you talk a little bit about um, some of the forms of resistance you are seeing um, to the occupation, both here and in Israel? Hello, can Yep, we can hear you. Hear yes. Your question was cut a little. I was wondering but if you. I, I'll answer. You, then you'll, you can add. You can edit the recording because. It's okay. Yeah, take it up. Uh, there are several groups that oppose uh, occupation. Other groups that oppose the idea of a Zionist state, and the third group that opposes. Uh, in principle, for in, in terms of religious principle, the idea of building up a state and taking the land by force. So you have different kinds of opposition. But also perhaps the most important uh, within various Jewish groups is group that uh, gradually becomes alienated from the whole issue of Israel. For many Jews in the United States in particular, many young Jews, uh, uh, the idea that Judaism is about defending the state of Israel and justifying its behavior is irrelevant. And so they're trying to develop their own kinds of Judaism, which is unrelated. So Israel relies more and more on Christian Zionists, who are much more numerous. Mm. Just to mention, uh, to quote Pastor Hege, who is uh, head of uh, Christians United for Israel, he said that there are 50 million. Uh, just for your information, there are 13 million Jews in the entire world, uh, more than four, four times less than uh, the number of Christian Zionists in the United States alone. And for Christian Zionists, it's a much more straightforward issue. It's a much more religious issue than it is for Jews who are really divided by Zionism, by Israel, and so on. So there are groups that oppose it for religious reasons, others for moral reasons, and quite a few young Jews are just perfectly indifferent to what's going on there. They say it doesn't concern us. We are, it's not done on our behalf. Um, have you have experienced any backlash in academia to voicing solidarity or talking about Palestine? Well, I would say that uh, within academic circles, I didn't experience anything particularly hostile, because those who don't want to hear me talk about Jewish opposition to Zionism or my understanding of what is modern Israel, simply don't invite me, don't want to hear about me. Uh, I think today the uh, policy of the uh, Israel advocates in academia and elsewhere is to silence rather than denounce. Hmm. When, they, when they cannot silence, they try to denounce. Uh, so uh, I think there is a change. When my book came out in French, I wrote it in French, uh, on Jewish opposition to Zionism, it was over 10 years ago, uh, there was a violent protest with, at the launch in Montreal, organized and well-prepared. Uh, but when the book came out in English two years later, there was a lot less of it. And when I presented my new book, What is Modern Israel, uh, in a downtown bookstore here in Montreal just last week, there was no one protesting it. So I think the idea is to prevent book reviews from appearing, to prevent the public from knowing that critical discourse exists, hmm. rather denounce that critical discourse. Of course, there are some people who are very well known, like Noam Chomsky or Norman Finkelstein and others, uh, they, they have to react. But I think even there, they prefer not to discuss, not to debate, but just avoid. So avoidance and silencing, I think, are the keys today to the campaign of Israel advocacy. Very interesting. Yeah. 
Um, do we have just a couple minutes left? Um, and wanted to end with just what are what are your thoughts about the occupation? What's happening on the ground? And and maybe steps for uh, potential steps forward that you see. Well, I think the situation on the ground is almost desperate for the Palestinians. And they have been uh, neglected by public opinion, uh, largely thanks to the weapons of mass distraction that Israel deployed with creating this whole Iranian threat. Uh, and therefore, everyone talked with Israel about not attacking Iran, and they forgot about Palestinians, which gave Israel a free hand to attack Gaza several times. Uh, but also, I think that uh, Palestinians are not well served by their appointed leadership. So we're talking about a population that has been largely neglected by the public opinion and is finding itself uh, in a very difficult predicament. Uh, Israel, by its own volition, is unlikely to improve the lot of the Palestinians because the move out of the tendencies within Israeli society are towards more unabashed nationalism and Uh, Zionist rights on the land. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if very drastic and very negative, very sinister solutions uh, uh, were found for uh, the solution of the Palestinian problem. It sounds a bit ironic because they, they used to talk about Jewish problem, now they're talking about Palestinian problem. Mm, yeah. uh, in a way, but in a way, the two are related because the so-called Jewish problem in, it, in Europe was exported to Palestine, and Palestine are paying the price of the problem created by the Europeans for the Europeans. Wow. Um, we really wanted to thank you. I think we're just scratching the surface on this, and we would love to have you back on the radio in a, at a future show uh, to go a little bit more deeply in this, if we could. Um, but again, we can't thank you enough, um, Professor Rabkin, and uh, we will, on our website, put um, w uh, the titles to some of your books and... Uh, your CV about this. So again, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. And welcome back to WVEW LP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Also online at WVEW.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections. Yeah, this is uh, Chris, Corey, and Lauren here on a Sunday with you. And um, a lot of stuff that he put out there that we could really jump into, and we will um, both today and in future shows. Um, but one of the things for me, Lauren, he talked a lot about um, the misunderstanding, the erasure of history, um, and we see that in this particular struggle with Zionism and Palestine, but also in the histories of Native peoples that I see in my schools, um, the history of um, resistance from African-Americans, both on the African continent and here. Um, and so I, I thought we could take a quick musical break and, and jump into some of that and some of our teaching in school. Great. Sounds so, good. This is Indigo Radio. Uh, our next song is um, by Low Key and Soundtrack to the Struggle. been a long time coming, too long, too long, it's been in the making a quarter century, but it's here now, it's here now, if by the time you hear this album, I'm not here, you'll know why. Suffering too many tears To see how you die, I'm knowing for years When we look around, nobody cares And the people that are living in fear The system needs to change right now Too much you talk about me, not great right now You know, see the big guys are here right now After get the people are not here right now I'm not 
lost, now I want it back Till I sever every single chain, I will not relax Just constant attack, till my world looks like Montserrat Contact my comrades for combat, was conscious rap When you say the truth, they attack like a saber tooth Thinking clear, they make you disappear Like you hate the fruit, no need more Bowens We don't need more rebores, weed or Leor Cohen's They tell us about terrorism and tell us about terrorists Look up the definition and tell us what terror is Only know the definition if the television sell us in public enemy number one They treat me like Professor Griff This album has been in the making a quarter century Born to bless the beat and rap over recorded melody I knew the truth since I was a small little boy I am a product of the system I was born to destroy You can't believe I saw them cheat people And they have to protect and people in the system for the street people Can't believe them and delete people The system needs to change right now Too much youth are good on me not great right now In the city bigger it's a deal right now After get a people I'm a slave right now Oh boy, system needs to change right now Too much youth are good on me not great right now In the city bigger it's a deal right now After get a people I'm a slave right now Support the troops, but won't mention Joe Clinton It's funny cause the rappers are posing as the gangsters While the government taking money as bonuses for bankers In life you learn to close your eyes and hold your tongue But together we will overcome, there's never been a chosen one Still trying to understand the land I stand on I'll probably die from cancer, a sang a friends fan Not never give up, I will never just quit I will never give in, I will never submit The reason that I came is bleeding from the veins of the people Cause we're equal, only freedom is the aim this album has been in the making a quarter century Born to bless the beat and rap over recorded melody I knew the truth since I was a small little boy I am a product of the system I was born to destroy You can't believe I saw them cheat people And they have to protect and them are lead people I'm innocent of system for the street people Can't believe them are delayed people The system needs to change right now Too much youth are good on me not great right now You're fighting fire with fire, I'm fighting fire with water When they kill me, I know I'll die with a focused mind Plus there'll be millions of me ready to multiply Don't just mention, acknowledge me Remember to honour me, my pen and its honesty Defended equality, declared a republic And ended your monarchy Your corporate dictatorship pretends it's democracy I hold your bloodline accountable for every crime Adam Smith to Rothschild, it's all been a clever lie Two choices now, revolution or genocide But thanks to Rupert Murdoch, neither one will be televised this album has been in the making a quarter century Born to bless the beat and rap over recorded melody I knew the truth since I was a small little boy I am a product of the system I was born to destroy You can't believe I saw them cheat people And they have to protect and them are beat people I'm innocent of system for the street people Can't believe them are delayed people The system is the change right now Too much youth are good on me not great right now Innocent is bigger it's a deal right now After I get the people I must be All right, that was Low Key, um, Song of the Struggle. Um, welcome back to WVEWLP, Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. We are streaming online at WVEW.org, and you're listening to Indigo Radio, which we're on every Sunday from 12 to 1, looking to deepen understanding and make connections. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and guests, not the radio station. So today we've been talking about resistance and we will, we've been talking a little bit about Palestine, um, connecting a little bit with Black Lives Matter and Standing Rock. Um, but I'd like to go to a quick PSA, a public service announcement. Um, October 22nd, the Harlem Gospel Choir will have a concert in Brattleboro. Get ready to tap your feet and clap your hands. Wyndham and Windsor Housing Trust is thrilled to bring Harlem Gospel Choir to town. Mark your calendar for Saturday, October 22nd at 7.30 p.m. at the Latches Theater in Brattleboro for an evening of contemporary gospel with a touch of jazz and blues. 
For over two decades, Harlem Gospel Choir has toured the globe, thrilling audiences with the inspirational power of black gospel music. This concert promises to be infectiously enthusiastic, a roller coaster ride of singing and dancing, a gospel celebration. Tickets are on sale now, so call 888-757-5559 or visit uh, tickets.catamountarts.org. That's the Harlem Gospel Choir at the Latches Theater on October 22nd. Um, so I'm here with um, Corey and Lauren, and we're talking about um, resistance. And um, Lauren, maybe we can jump into this. You uh, grew up Jewish, and you're now doing this work in solidarity with Palestine, among other, um, with Black Lives Matter, with Standing Rock. Um, and so do you want to chime in on that a little bit? Um, well, I talked a, bit, a little bit about that um, before, and uh, we were going to um, think about the... <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, Lauren. What I meant to ask you was, was what does teaching resistance look like in the classroom? So... Because we didn't want to go back and reiterate that same question. What does teaching resistance <laughs> look like in the classroom? Um, you know, I, I have to echo the sentiments of Yaakov um, when in saying, talking about the, the narrative that um, isn't heard. So for me, teaching resistance in the classroom is about teaching the narrative of the people whose stories are not typically told and looking at a history from the view of those who've been oppressed and how they've struggled and resisted throughout history. And like you were saying, how little we hear about resistance from the, those who have been oppressed. Uh, and resistance in the classroom is also about giving students reasons to see their lives as connected to the struggles around the world. Um, so I work with preschool through eighth grade, and so the teaching clearly looks different uh, from <coughs> preschool to eighth grade, but the essence of resistance I think lies in humanizing our students so they can regard other people's struggles as their own. Mm. Um, so you're also a teacher. Yes. And was would you be able to talk a little bit about your experience teaching these subjects of resistance in your classroom? Yeah, I think for me when I started my student teaching, um, Hurricane Katrina had just hit and there was images, and we had these discussions in my family. We saw images about who's a looter and who is actually finding food to save themselves and the death and crime that was happening in New Orleans. And um, I was imbibed with all of that information about what New Orleans was like, what the community down there was like. And so um, upon going down and investigating and finding out and working with a group called Common Ground, I saw um, some of the systemic racism and inequality that led to community, the community there being literally dispossessed of their lands, in many cases being um, losing their lives, and hearing story after story about this wasn't the first time that it had happened, that levees had been blown in 68 or 67 and 32, and this long narrative that I had no idea about. And I was really shocked, and I was really angry about it, and I brought it back to the classroom and shared some of those experiences and tapes, uh, interviews I had done with people with my students, and they were equally um, excited and angry to hear this information, and they organized amongst themselves and with some fellow teachers to raise money to go down and do some work in New Orleans at the end of the semester. We did a running race, a 5K race to raise money, um, and they went down and worked with Common Ground, gutting houses, um, working with handing out food, um, meeting people, doing their own interviews about the stories that people told about being not allowed to cross bridges into where there was dry land. And these were a whole community of African-American people that weren't allowed to do that and the history of the blowing of the levees. And so it was quite a powerful learning experience to um, connect history to their lives. And coincidentally, there was a flood that, was happen that happened at the same time that same hurricane um, washed out some bridges um, in the Bellows, Fall, Bellows Falls area that which prevented some students from coming to school. So we connected, kind of lived current experiences to that. Um, and I currently teach in Holyoke, Massachusetts. And 
my school has a predominantly African-American community, I mean, excuse me, a Latino community, a Puerto Rican community, and when we were, um, when I started my teaching there, we, uh, Mike Brown had just been murdered in uh, Ferguson, and his body left to lay on the ground for five, uh, four to five hours, and my students were really anxious to talk about that in the classroom and what it meant, and as we delved into it, they um, organized their own protests around their school, marching around the school and on the streets, and they felt the backlash that many in the Black Lives Matter movement had, have felt since then, expressing their outrage at this. So I thought maybe, Lauren, we could, we were talking about resistance and connecting these struggles, uh, Standing Rock, Black Lives Matter, the Palestinian struggle. I thought maybe we could read the statement that the Black Lives Matter movement um, issued in regards to Standing Rock. Would you, would sure. you like to read a little bit of that? Yeah, I think these solidarity statements are important to hear. This one is um, Black Lives Matter um, in solidarity with Standing Rock. Black Lives Matter stands with Standing Rock. As there are many diverse manifestations of blackness and black people, and black people are also displaced indigenous peoples, we are clear that there is no black liberation without indigenous sovereignty. Environmental racism is not limited to pipelines on indigenous land because we know that the chemicals that used for fracking and the materials used to build pipelines are also used in water containment and sanitation plants in black communities like Flint, Michigan. The same companies that build pipelines are the same companies that build factories that emit carcinogenic chemicals into black communities, leading to some of the highest rates of cancer, hysterectomies, miscarriages, and asthma in the country. Our liberation is only realized when all people are free, free to access clean water, free from institutional racism, free to live whole and healthy lives not subjected to state-sanctioned violence. America has committed and is committing genocide against the Native American peoples and black people. We are in an ongoing struggle for our lives, and this struggle is shaped by the shared history between indigenous peoples and black people in America, connecting that stolen land and stolen labor from black and brown people built in this country. Wow. Again, another really powerful um, statement of solidarity. Um, and again, we're just scratching the surface to these issues. Um, and we'd like to leave you with a song, one of my favorite songs, uh, Marvin Gaye, Inner City Blues. Um, and catch us every Sunday from 12 to 1. This is Indigo Radio. Thanks so much. Thank you, Corey. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Chris. Yeah.